my time. I refuse to push my body to the brink of exhaustion and destruction. Let the chips fall where they may. I trust myself more than capitalism. If I lose an opportunity because I choose to take care of myself, that opportunity wasn't for me in the first place. If I lose an opportunity by choosing to nourish my body, by choosing to lean on my rituals instead of my routines, by choosing to lean on my community um, instead of putting myself in a cave and you know working and you know really locking in, then that opportunity wasn't for me in the first place. And obviously the people that are judging me based off of those things don't have my best interest at heart in the first place. What's going on y'all? Welcome to Help Students Win, where we talk about all things education. My name is Jordan Davis. I'm a professional speaker, founder of JD Speaks, and your podcast host. And to start 2024, I had to start this pod by talking about avoiding burnout. Now, I will say 2023 was one of the most difficult years of my life, both professionally and uh, academically as well. As I finish up my master's degree program at Georgetown University, I faced a lot of adversity, but we made it to 2023. I'm in my last semester uh, as a master's degree student at Georgetown. I will also work professionally at Georgetown, and I wanted to make this podcast so that we are setting ourselves up, not only for professional and academic success, but also personal success when it comes to our health, when it comes to our relationship, when it comes to the community uh, that we build around ourselves. And so the topic of burnout has been such a buzz topic the past several years, uh, really taking off since the height of the pandemic, where we saw a lot of uh, self-reported burnout um, and a lot of research that's has been done on burnout when it comes to the effects that social isolation has had on people's views on society, people's views on their work and their professional lives. And there's a lot of nuance that needs to be brought to this conversation. And again, as we start this year, as we set lofty goals for ourselves in 2024, some of you might not have set any specific goals at all. And I love you for that. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that, too, in this episode, uh, what it means to set goals for ourselves in in a way that takes care of our our minds and our well-being uh, but this is just such a key topic, whether you're a student that's listening to this about to start your spring semester, whether you're a professor or a teacher that's about to start teaching in the new year, whether you're a school administrator or a staff member that's working to support students, uh, or you're if you're a conference organizer because conference season is among us. So I know that there's a lot of stress uh, starting the year. And again, I just want to make sure that we are well set up for success. And so I really wanted to dive into, okay, what is burnout? How do we even unpack this topic of avoiding burnout if we don't necessarily know what it is? Really, I've referenced the Maslach Burnout Inventory, uh, which is currently the most widely used scale for measuring burnout. And it's named after uh, Emeritus Professor uh, Christina Maslach at the, U at the University of California, Berkeley. And so within this measurement tool, there are several subscales, but there are three main areas that these 16 questions touch on uh, within this particular measurement tool for burnout. And so the first one is exhaustion. The second one is cynicism. And then the third one is uh, professional efficacy. So let's break all of these down. So we talk about exhaustion. We're talking about physical, mental, social, emotional exhaustion as something that contributes 
to burn out when we talk about cynicism. Does my work matter? Am I interested in my work? Do I see the importance of being in education, of being in law and being in nursing, right? And then when we talk about professional efficacy, do I feel as though I'm successful at my job? Do I feel like I'm contributing, making a positive contribution to the professional work that I do? And then even for our students, do I feel like I'm a successful student? Do I feel like my efforts and my academics are actually contributing to not only my personal goals, but for the goals that I have for the world that I want to build? And so really bringing those three areas together as helping us define what burnout is. If you're exhausted, if you're cynical, and if you have uh, a lack of professional efficacy, that is really the culmination of what can be defined as burnout. And again, I encourage you to check out the Maslach Burnout Inventory so that you can see the different questions, the 16 questions that it asks, and it'll rank them for you and be able to help you determine whether you are currently experiencing burnout. And so as we know, burnout is real, y'all. Like Burnout is uh, extremely prevalent, especially for those who work in public service. Uh, we saw unprecedented amounts of self-reported burnout during the pandemic, uh, extremely high burnout reported in K-12 teachers, as has been covered in the media extensively, uh, marked by unprecedented turnover, again, during the height of the pandemic. And then according to a survey conducted on K-12 teachers by the RAND Association, teachers on average work 53 hours per week, and that's seven more, hour, that's seven more hours per week than the average working adult. And so that's just for our educators. There are several perspectives out there on ways to avoid, uh, you know, ways to avoid burnout. And one of them is to practice gratitude. And I'm a little iffy on this one, if I'm being honest with you. I think there is a level of gratitude that is helpful in helping us avoid burnout. But I think limiting our response to burnout to needing to be grateful for the circumstances that we have discounts the harm and the restrictive nature and the systems of oppression that really all groups face, but more extremely black, Latinx, indigenous groups uh, and other racially minoritized groups face as a result of our systems of oppression, like telling those folks that their situation is fine and that they need to uh, be grateful for them is a is a tricky is a slippery slope. Um, but I, I did. I definitely wanted to bring some of this research forward for us. And so when it comes to practicing gratitude, things like getting in the habit of thinking about situations that could be worse or more long term than the situation that you might be in now. And so when we talk about, for example, say if I were to twist my ankle saying, well, at least I didn't at least I didn't completely break my ankle. Right. Or at least I didn't tear my ACL. Knock on wood. I, I need to knock on something right now as uh, as a college, as, you know, former college athlete, former high school athlete. Thank goodness that I have not had um, an injury like that yet. And so practicing gratitude to that level when you face a difficult situation and even when you're in the moment. It seems like there's no getting out of it. It seems like that feeling of sadness and despair and frustration is going to be there forever. But realizing, you know, kind of doing the mental work of saying, okay, 
I realize that I'm in a difficult situation, but I have the community, I have the resources, and I have the intelligence in order to be able to navigate this, right? Well, also allowing myself uh, to feel those natural feelings, but to not wallow in them and kind of be consumed by them too. So again, there's, there's balance that needs to be had when it comes to gratitude. Uh, also getting in the habit of thinking about all the things that are going well in your life that uh, your work or your school or even your parents might not be quick to identify. And so giving yourself credit for the little things uh, that are going well. And so I have a daily to-do list for those who know me. You know, I live in my iPhone notes app and every day I have my to-do list. And some of some of the days that I'm working I really might only get three or four things done on my to-do list when it comes to my professional work. But I've done all of these things for myself. I've done all of these things for my relationship and for my friends and for the apartment and you know cooking and doing all of these things that, again, I don't get credit from work for doing those things. I don't really get credit from school for doing those things, but I know that they are contributing to my life. And so I need to make that uh, a part of my self-gratification. I need to gratify myself. Uh, for taking care of myself and for uh, valuing me and valuing my body and taking time to connect, uh, you know, my mind and body and really honor that relationship. And then there's also another perspective on it. And this is the perspective that I'm really excited about. And so I just started reading uh, Trisha Hersey's Rest is Resistance. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this and you're familiar with the Nat Ministry, you know what's up. If you haven't exposed yourself to the Nat Ministry on Instagram, you got to go like right now. Uh, posting a lot of great content about the importance of rest as a form of resistance to both white supremacy and capitalist culture, uh, both of which are kind of clashing together to create grind culture and this intense culture around being exhausted as a rite of passage, experiencing trauma as a rite of passage, having to work around the clock in order to feel validated when we quote unquote take care of ourselves, having to seek outside resources in order to do so, having to buy things, uh, having to buy spas and having to do you know these quick fixes for what is long-term exposure or at least repeated exposure to trauma and harm. And how we can, you know, change our mindset and change how we view uh, those systems of repression and to think outside of those uh, and to kind of act and use rest as a form of counteracting those systems who, and you know, systems that benefit from our exhaustion, systems that benefit from uh, intense competition and this binary between being lazy and being hardworking. Um, and so I really appreciate uh, Trisha Hersey's work. And I've started to bring forth some of these ideas, you know, this idea of rest as resistance, even to my work with students. And so as a professional speaker, I speak to a lot of uh, high school and college students. And there's always this thing that comes up when, you know, there's always this thing that comes up about work life balance and how to maintain a healthy work life balance as a student. And there's this beautiful quote by Trisha Hersey in uh, Rust is Resistance. I just started the book the other day and I'm already pulling quotes from it and I wanted to bring it here. And it says, quote, I refuse to push my body to the brink of exhaustion and destruction. Let the chips fall where they may. I trust myself more 
than capitalism. And that's huge. I actually want to repeat that one more time. I refuse to push my body to the brink of exhaustion and destruction. Let the chips fall where they may. I trust myself more than capitalism. And so really it's saying if I lose the opportunity because I choose to take care of myself, that opportunity wasn't for me in the first place. If I lose the opportunity by choosing to nourish my body, by choosing to lean on my rituals instead of my routines, by choosing to lean on my community um, instead of putting myself in a cave and, you know, working and, you know, really locking in, then that opportunity wasn't for me in the first place. And obviously the people that are judging me based off of those things don't have my best interest at heart in the first place. And, uh, you know, Trisha Hersey in the book, she talks about the famous question that she gets all of the time in response to her lens on rest as resistance, which is, well, I have bills to pay. You know, I I have classes to attend. So what does it actually look like for me to rest as a form of resistance when rest is not incentivized by the forces that I work for, when it's not incentivized by my boss, when it's not incentivized by my teacher who might not really care about whether uh, I get enough rest or not as it relates to my grade, as it relates to my performance in the class. And really in response to this question, Trisha Hersey posits that we're thinking in an unhelpful binary and to even ask the question of, or to even you know present the the argument that oh I have bills to pay I don't have time to rest it's really a desperate question because it puts us in a binary between resting and everything in our life falling apart or uh, you know assimilating into grind culture and being exhausted and so it completely discounts our creativity our ability to connect with our minds and bodies, our, our, our flexibility as human beings to really uh, adapt and be able to provide things for ourselves that we need at different times. So it's not just one or the other. It's not just, oh, I'm going to rest and I'm going to be lazy and I'm going to lose all these opportunities. I'm not going to be as good as I usually am at work. You can rest and also be really good at your job. Like you can rest and you can boost your creativity. You can rest and get opportunities that you've never been offered before because you approach your work with another level of clarity or you're able to better relate with your colleagues and your coworkers and the people that you're trying to serve. And again, it's not even about the job performance. It's about the fact that we are divine beings. And throughout our history, we have very little evidence that we've really valued human beings. And we've only valued them in the lens of capitalism, specifically when we talk about, uh, you know, the Western world in the United States. And so our country in the U.S. was built on slave labor. It was built on forced exhaustion. It was built on sleep deprivation. And really, since then, our system hasn't changed that much because the same people who were forced to work in order to live are still in a similar system in which having to work two and three jobs, having to work a job and go to graduate school, having to um, literally sacrifice time with your family, time with yourself, time taking care of your body, time uh, investing in, you know, a a diet that is sustainable, uh, you know, having a lack of ability to catch up on enough sleep. 
all of those things are characteristic of a lot of our professional and academic environments today. And a lot of research will tell you that it is uh, racially minoritized groups that experience uh, the greatest levels of, of trauma and harm as a result of this system. And so I, I want to posit this idea of rest as resistance. And again, I love Trisha Hershey as she says that she trusts herself more than capitalism, like challenging ourselves to trust ourselves more than capitalism. One of the things that I'm doing that that I'm trying to implement in my professional life is to be less planned when I go into meetings, realizing that I'm intelligent. I have a lot of experience. I come to my meetings with an expert's blind spot, meaning that even though I don't have some of the professional expertise that my colleagues have, the fact that I'm coming into it with newness, the fact that I'm coming into it as someone who represents another generation, as someone who uh, is usually one of the only black male voices in the room, there is value to all of those things. And I bring that to the meetings. I bring that to the uh, professional spaces that I occupy and I'm proud of those things. And so that's just one of the things that we can take with us uh, today is to trust ourselves more than capitalism and to trust that there is a society, there is a world that exists in which we, in the, in the words of Bettina Love, in which we can do more than survive. And so always staying in this survival state where no matter how much money you have, no matter how many resources you have, there's always more to gain. That is characteristic of capitalism, where there's exponential growth because the businesses that we have, the non even like a lot of the corporations that we have um, that are within our capitalist system prioritize growth over all else because the growth helps the shareholders and the shareholders invest the money that makes the companies go. And so how can we disassociate ourselves from this system? And as Trisha Hersey also says in her book, how can we live in a world without becoming a part of it? So how do we live within this structure while not becoming a part of it? And realizing that this is a lifelong commitment. This isn't going to happen in a semester. It's not going to happen in a couple of weeks. Um, I think of the words... Uh, of bell hooks healing is an act of communion so not just taking all of this uh knowledge in and trying to apply it on your own being honest being vulnerable about the rest that you're taking inspiring and empowering others to take rest i tell you one of the things that i'm trying professionally now too is having routine planned rest and that is because i know that i if i don't plan my rest it's not going to happen until it needs to happen. And sometimes when it needs to happen, the damage has already been done. The sleep deprivation has already set in. And so to avoid that as a preventative measure, just like I eat two to three meals a day every day, just like I make sure that I'm logging into work every day, just like I make sure that I'm watering my uh, romantic relationship every day, taking a break to rest my mind, to preserve my creativity, to preserve my self-esteem is important for me to continue. It's important for me to keep going. And that just like I plan meetings, just like I plan work sessions, I also need to plan my rest to make sure that I'm making intentional time and intentional space for it. And so that was a little all over the place. I wanted to gain, I wanted to provide some guidance for 
uh, students, but then also teachers and staff who might be thinking about how to uh, navigate burnout. And I wanted to give some uh, specific examples too. When I look at my life in the ways that I'm trying to prioritize rest as resistance, one of the ways that I'm doing that is, oh, excuse me. One of the ways one of the ways that I'm doing that is to not drink coffee, and I don't drink coffee because I know several people that are addicted to caffeine, and I understand that. Forcing my body or getting my body to be more productive by consuming something is not helpful to me. And so I would rather get less done and be less productive and not have the caffeine than to make myself drink caffeine and be dependent on it. And that's just me personally. I don't have any shame for anybody who drinks coffee. Really, over the years, I've started to develop uh, a liking for coffee every now and again. Uh, a lot of my friends are coffee drinkers, and so there's a little bit of that peer pressure too. But most days, I do not drink coffee. Like I am not a routine coffee drinker, and that is a part of preserving my connection between my mind and my body. I'm in the gym four to five days a week. I don't take any protein right now. I'm not taking any performance enhancers. I don't take any pre-workout to get myself hyped up. I don't take any energy drinks. Again, if I'm not feeling it at the gym, I'm just not feeling it. I refuse to consume things that are going against my mind and my body. And so really there's this balance Again, between uh, between being consistent and doing what you know is best for you in the long term, but then also caring for your body now. And I would say that prioritizing how you feel in the short term is healthy because when you isolate all of your actions, really all of them are had in the short term. And so if I'm consistently neglecting how my body feels, if I'm consistently pushing forward no matter what, pushing forward no matter how uh, bad I feel, no, how, no matter how exhausted I feel, no matter how sore I feel, then that is going to turn into a prolonged state where I've completely disassociated myself, uh, you know, where I've completely disassociated my mind from my body. And so those are some of the ways that I'm trying to avoid that. Another one is no working lunches. And so if I'm eating, I'm focused on food and maybe Netflix or maybe YouTube or something like that. I might be listening to a podcast as I eat, but that is a time to rest. And so for me, rest and eating go together, right? Having space for that intentional connection between those two is important to me. And I understand that there are professionals listening to this right now that, uh, you know, you think that this isn't realistic for you. And it might not be uh, realistic to the extent that, I, that I've described it. Uh, but Trisha Hersey uh, is really challenging us to, again, think outside of our current set of expectations that are placed on us by the systems of oppression and to make intentional space for rest when we can, even if it's just closing our eyes uh, for a little bit in the elevator before we go into, uh, you know, before we walk off for the 20 to 30 seconds that you might spend on the elevator, or maybe it's looking outside of the window 
uh, for 15 minutes uh, instead of scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through, uh, you know, TikTok or LinkedIn. Or maybe it's getting on TikTok or LinkedIn at some points of the day during work. When I take my routine breaks, I usually take a five to 10 minute break at the, the end of each hour. So if I'm working from three to 3.50, it's time for a 10 minute break. Sometimes it's three to 3.55, five minute break before I head into that next hour. And so again, building in little breaks like that because you might say, oh Jordan, you're wasting an hour of the day. But if I'm reclaiming my rest, if I'm reclaiming my creativity, my ability to uh, invest in my personal wellness, that is a form of resistance because at the end of the day, I'm not going to get any extra professional reward for grinding, for working hard. Again, that's another myth of capitalism that the harder you work, the more you get. But what what does that more matter to me if it's not investing in my wellness? That is what I want us to ask ourselves today. Uh, again, working in seasons is one of the other things that I challenge uh, students to think about. And so I played high school and college football and this idea of seasons, there's an off season and there's an in season has worked pretty well for me. And realizing that there are some seasons where I'm all in on community. I'm all in on, you know, seeing, checking my meetup app and seeing who's going on hikes, seeing when the next board game night is, seeing who's going out to karaoke, really leaning on my friendships and personal relationships. There are seasons where academically, I am, you know, that's what's really holding my attention right now. And the whole idea around seasons is acknowledging that I can't be 100% in every aspect of my life. And so not feeling guilty or shame for being 70% in some areas, being 49% in some areas, that's normal. That's healthy. It shows us times and places where we can improve or we can seek growth in some areas and just acknowledge this isn't my strong area. And just because society values it or just because the industry that I'm in values it uh, doesn't mean that I need to value it for myself or to chastise myself for not developing in this particular area. This can be as trivial as spreadsheets or it can be as big as uh you know, expectations around the amount of hours that you work. It could be particular work styles. It could be particular uh, work environments that you're in. Being very upfront about, okay, this is the season that I'm in and this is what I need. There are some seasons where I need, uh, you know, community as my number one thing. There are others where community can kind of take a back seat and I'm more into my uh, romantic relationship or I'm more into uh, JD Speaks and really developing my business. And so, not feeling bad for not being 100% all the time. Again, kind of dismantling this idea of perfectionism and just valuing my imperfections as something that uh, should be cherished, should be valued. Um, and it's something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not ashamed of. Practicing being non-apologetic. If I'm a few minutes late to a meeting, not apologizing for that. If I have to eat during a meeting, not apologizing for that. Again, not apologizing for meeting your basic biological needs. She point, uh, Trisha Hersey points to a, a really vivid example in Rest is Resistance where an example of how she was a teacher's aide 
in a K through 12 classroom and there were second and third graders and the teacher in that classroom, you know, really making sure that, uh, you know, forcing children who need to use the restroom, who need to relieve their bodies to sit there until the 12, you know, or, you know, to sit there until the 20 minute break. So literally a student like doing the PP dance, like has to relieve themselves not being able to do so until the break. And then the student that she outlined in the example actually ended up going to the bathroom on themselves. And she says that this is a early sign that dehumanization, that grind culture, that assimilation into white supremacy and capitalism is starting at such a young age for these young people to the point where you are seen as a disruption. You are seen as something that uh, is detracting from our real goals here because you need to take care of yourself. And so dismantling that whole thought process is important. I know I've talked a lot about the idea of rest as resistance. I also want to talk about, too, uh, just from a logistical standpoint, if you are not happy and you're not fulfilled and you've tapped all of the resources that you could possibly tap, uh, it might be time to look at other uh, professional and social opportunities. And so I feel like someone really needs to hear that. And the first part of that statement was so key, though. Making sure that you are centering yourself in community, making sure that you're decentering yourself, you're taking yourself out of the center of your own universe and saying, okay, who can I lean on? Who can I, uh, you know, seek knowledge on? valuable experiences like who can I draw upon for knowledge on how to navigate this uh, who might be able to help me out as I navigate this new position that I'm in or um, you know like asking yourself questions like that have I talked to all the professors that I can talk to have I seen a mental health counselor what are the challenges uh, that are involved with seeing a mental health counselor kind of doing that internal work of maybe the some of the trauma that you face in relation to uh, seeking help when it comes to mental or physical health. So again, this is not going to happen overnight, but making sure that you are tapping all of your resources uh, before you make uh, certain moves and really you know, trying to understand whether a transition out of something is the right move uh, is something that we should consider as well. Let me see. Is there anything else that I want to uh, unpack here? Oh, yeah. One thing that I use, too, and I'll make this my last example, is the three strikes rule. And so when I go to the gym, I give myself three strikes. When we hit, Once we hit that third strike, I'm out. And an example of this is whenever I feel so exhausted at the gym that I think about going home, that's a strike. There are some mornings where I feel great. I wake up at 3.30, I wake up at 4, I put my shoes on, I go to the gym, I have a great workout. There are some mornings where I even struggle to get out of the bed. And so when I when I sit up and when I swing my feet over on the edge of the bed and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, man, I really don't want to do this, I get my body to try to overcome that feeling. So that's strike one. If I put on my shoes and I'm like, I really don't want to go, that's strike two. If I start packing my bag and I have that same thought, again, if that thought thought stays with me, it's time to put the bag down. 
uh, take my shoes off and get back in the bed. Like being very honest with myself about that. Sometimes it'll even seep into the gym. So I'm able to get up, but I have trouble putting my shoes on That's strike one. I'm able to pull into the parking lot, but as I'm taking my jacket off, putting myself in my locker, I'm thinking about going home. I'm having a really rough time. That's strike two. Uh, I'm able to stretch. I get through my stretch, but I start doing abs and I'm like, man, I just don't have it today. That's strike three. I need to go home. Um, I've pushed my body enough for that particular day. Again, being honest, like this is this is some of the work that needs to be done. And I know there are some people that are thinking, oh, that's lazy uh, or you're not you're not consistent enough. You're not pushing yourself hard enough. But if I am able to reserve or conserve my energy, my health in order to show up more fully for others, in order to show up more fully in my relationship, in order to enjoy the rest time that I have, because there's so often where the, the periods of rest that we are allowed to have, you might get a week out of the year, you might get two weeks out of the year, you're literally spending all of that time recovering instead of enjoying with you know going into it with energy going into it with fresh eyes going into it uh, with an imaginative spirit uh, it it can be really challenging to do that if you don't prioritize your rest consistently and routinely throughout the year and so I really hope this helps somebody I know that our systems in education can make it really difficult for us to take care of ourselves I am involved in not only student well-being work, but also as a result, uh, faculty well-being work. Because when we ask our faculty to be there for our students, to implement trauma-informed pedagogy, to implement inclusive teaching practices, if they themselves don't feel a sense of inclusivity, if they themselves don't feel seen and supported, then how can they possibly do that uh, for young adults on a regular basis? And so I get, I fully understand how our systems, both in higher ed and in K-12, don't really prioritize faculty and staff wellness. And some of the same tactics that are used to pit students against each other, to increase uh, competition, uh, within our schools, between our students, is some of the same systems that are impacting our teachers as far as competitiveness, as far as not prioritizing health and well-being, as far as not encouraging teachers to take days off, to take time off, uh, prioritizing the students that are actually in the classroom instead of the research and the productivity pressures that are always looming around the heads of our uh, professors in higher education, a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them, especially at Research One universities. And so I, I sit with all of this. I know that it's uh, difficult, but as we head into 2024, we claim victory. We are divine beings um, and we are valuable regardless of what we produce, regardless of the grades that we earn. And so I want to leave you with that today. My name is Jordan Davis. You've just heard help students win. And I'll see you on the next one. Pod, 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 podcast.